Let's start off with a prayer. Om Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahaviryam Karavavahai Tejasvinavadhi Tamastuma Vitvishavahai Om Shanti 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 So, good morning, good evening. To summarize uh, last week, um, we were doing shlokas 62, 63. And uh, I think uh, uh, today we are going to do 62, 63, and we'll also continue with 64 and 65. That's the four, uh, four ones. So to quickly summarize uh, last week's uh, GD, what we had, I'm just going to look at my notes. So um, these two shlokas, 62 and 63, are the epitome of uh, the human psychology. And there's a, there's a contrast between the modern psychology and Gita psychology. The modern psychology seems to be, you know, mostly coming out of multiple people like Freud and, uh, you know, a couple of his, his other uh, uh, so-called Freud-related uh, guys who end up all blaming the mother for all the problems in life, right? The Oedipal complex that we talked about. But, um, you know, Gita does not say that at all. Gita says the poor mother do not no need to blame her at all for all your problems. You have to solve your own problems. And, um, you know, of course, Freud says that repression is bad, uh, but, you know, his solution is not the right, right solution, according to Gita. So, there was this question in the group uh, discussion last week saying that, hey, if desire is the root of any ambition, then is it bad to have the desires? Is it bad to have ambitions at all? The answer was beautifully said. It's not at all desires. Yes, you know, is the root of all ambitions and there's nothing wrong in having desires and ambitions. But think about for whose benefit it is for which basically trying to come to say that, you know, get over the selfish selfishness aspect of desires and move beyond the selfishness aspect of desires. Um, then there was one interesting point which uh, um, Krishna brought up, which, which, is, the, which is the way that um, the wordings have been used in shlokas 62 and 63. So in 62, in 62, it says that, uh, you know, the tense that has been used in that thing is, you know, when you keep contemplating on the objects, it will give rise to attachment it, or it may or may give rise to attachment. Okay. And when you keep, when that attachment keeps happening, then uh, you will, you may develop a desire for it. And then when the de desire happens, then you may, you may develop anger. And then from that, uh, from that phase onwards, once the anger develops, then it is a surety that the next steps will happen for sure. Okay, when the anger develops, then you are going to be deluded as a person. And when you are going to be deluded, then you're, you're, you will lose control of who you are and you will lose memory of all the intelligence that you've gained so far. And then that will lead to destruction. So there is a beautiful play, a wordplay, which Krishna pointed it out, which I did not uh, uh, catch it earlier on when I was reading it. 
so then we also had some discussion about uh, uh, you know in the current modern times is it difficult to live a minimalistic life you know uh, and i think we had multiple debates but the the, the key point that i want to make uh, here is that you know we have to define what minimalism is for ourselves compared to who we are we need not have to look at somebody else and say okay oh that person is living like this therefore he is more minimal than i am or she is more minimal than i am therefore i have to live like that that i think that would probably be a wrong way we have to look at what we were in the past or what we are now and figure out how to become meaning minimalistic that's that's one way of looking at it um we also talked about choices okay more choices gives rise to conflicts and so is having more choices desires good or bad and i think that's what we're going to cover as part of our uh, the next two shlokas today that we are going to talk about um then i really like the way that mukku articulated it finally saying that the difference between the western psychology and uh, the gita psychology he says uh, he said that uh, the western psychology loses the complete science of enlightenment and they are looking at all the things that are happening in the movie and trying to rearrange the pictures of the frames and in the movie but they completely forgot about the person who is watching the movie so uh modern psychology basically misses the seer completely of the movie and that's what is the biggest difference between the modern psychology and uh, the uh, the gita psychology where gita is is looking at who you are rather than what is the movie that you're watching the 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 universe that you're watching the universe that you're interacting in right um then there was a little bit of uh, discussion about you know going back to the fundamental question about what is attachment right and i think it was beautifully said that anything that causes emotional turmoil in us is attachment and this attachment uh creates desire and this desire creates action for us to go and acquire or you know get rid of that particular whatever we are attached to and that you know attachment desire action is an endless loop and uh, we have to figure out a way of coming out of that particular thing and one way of doing that is when we attach ourselves to a higher uh, desire than what we are currently desiring um okay then um just to summarize on the couple of frameworks that uh, geeta presented to us which was shared by multiple people in last week's gd how do you improve psychologically our own personality so the couple of frameworks that uh, uh, that we discussed in the last week gd was fir which i'm going to say once again uh, frequency intensity and uh, recovery time kishore i got it right this time okay okay frequency intensity recovery time that's one framework uh, second one is uh, understand that whatever is happening to us uh, is part of our prarabdha karma so the concept of prarabdha karma has to be understood for us uh with to understand the happenings what's happening in our life the desires that we chase and figure out uh that and to understand that okay these desires are bound to happen that's how this particular body has come in shape and therefore you know you need to go through it but you need to go through the sense of detachment then the third framework is needs versus wants figure out what are your needs figure out what are your wants so that you can reduce reduce the number of desires that you selfish desires that you have the fourth one is the higher ideal attach yourself to a higher ideal than to a lower ideal fifth one is the pratipaksha bhavana um replace 
a dis- replace a desire or an attachment with an opposite emotion sixth one very practical one is asking why why do i have this why do i want it why do i need it when you ask those questions you know a, a higher intelligence will start working on us and the last one is you know write on a piece of paper and, and tear it off and this was specifically when it came to the emotions part of it how do you deal with emotions and things like that you know if you if you if you're angry at somebody or whatever right you know do we have to go burst out your anger at that person or is there an alternate way the answer was write it on a piece of paper and tear it and tearing it is important because you're letting it go i think it is depicted pretty beautifully in some of the movies as well i don't recall which movie it is but uh, there's one hindi movie in which this particular thing is depicted and maybe i should when i remember it i'll get back to you um then there was the last last few um, uh, minutes of a gd we discussed about the meaning of the word prasada but i completely lost track of what we were discussing because i was um, i got distracted so i think alpana it was you who mentioned it maybe if you want to summarize that that will be good and then we can kick off yeah i think this is what uh, swami spg had explained the meaning of prasad there is no literal translation of it in one word so the way he translates is it's a, it's it's couple of words so one is serenity and serenity he meant was having calmness when it comes to the worldly objects when you are dealing with the with the sansar uh, having that serene uh, state of mind is referred by prasad and then the other part is joyfully delightfully restlessness so you even though you are restless for that supreme power or that uh, wanting of that self realization but it is not causing any unhappiness it is actually a delight um, so so that's why it's not just joyous it's not just delightful but joyfully delightfully restless for be for that higher state or god or whatever and that's why he was trying to say that uh, when you are unhappy for god or even our any beloved one that unhappiness is actually more pleasing than any amount of happiness that we would have ever experienced so so i think that prasad word captures uh, you know the essence of all of this nice thank you alpana i guess that the last part what you said is basically like the like the mirabai's uh, viraha vedan what she used to have for krishna okay that's my yeah. regard it yeah the vyakulta that ramakrishna yeah. had for kali and the viraha that mira had absolutely yeah absolutely awesome thank you so much and i hope uh, i've summarized last week gd so ajay you did not miss much so this is what we discussed but we'll continue doing it in on this week as well we listen to the gd of course yeah of course i i promise to post it today or tomorrow <laughs> yeah, but just to add to what uh, alpana said about uh, serenity uh, swami p in his lecture had a very nice simple sort of you know phrase in terms of how you know you can depict this 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 state of calmness and he says you know when something unique happens you know we tend to get uh, excited and we got to kind of go what you know there's like what and so it says move from what to so what right so it's a it's a completely different change in the mindset from one which is one of uh, you know surprise or uh, you know something which is unique uh, because he explains it saying that nothing in this world is unique there is no happiness in this world the happiness is all within us so whatever we are kind of uh, 
perceiving as happiness and getting excited about it is not happiness. Uh, the state of mind has to be one where you kind of say, okay, this is good, so what, and move on. So I found that very powerful. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so, so to kick off this, uh, today's GD, where we are focusing on, again, from 62 to 65, you know, I, I want to just state this. I, I just want to go back to the presentation, what I had made to all of you uh, as part of the Gita series earlier this year, right? So, uh, you know, uh, I want to just kind of you know, uh, uh, capture what I presented as a summary in my in my presentation. So in my presentation, what I was trying to, what I was trying to explain was that when you look at any ad on the TV today, there are... Uh, um, if you count the number of ads and if you look at, you know, uh, in the construct of Gita and say, okay, is this ad appealing to my mind as in the, the emotional mind or is this ad appealing to my intellect or is this ad ap appealing to my senses? The chances are maybe 80 to 90% of the ads will appeal to your mind or to your senses. Very few will appeal to your intellect. And the very few ones that appeal to your intellect are the ones which says, okay, you know, if you go for rocket mortgage is 2.75 versus somebody else, it is, you know, 4%. Therefore, go for rocket mortgage. Those are those type of those type of ads are very, very few. But the the ads that appeal to our emotions and to our senses, food, okay, uh, wine, uh, liquor, right? Even pharmaceutical medicines, they don't appeal to your intellect. They appeal to your emotions. Next time when you're watching the ads, just keep, if you put this lens in front of you and say, okay, is this, where is this appealing to me? Then you will know how the marketing, uh, marketing machinery is tempting us to get involved in this, in this world. And that's where the desire starts. F for all you might know, you know, that picture, what is being presented in that particular ad, is irrelevant for you, but that creates a desire. Just watch it, watch very carefully the next few ads that you're going to watch in, in, in the next, let's say, three, uh, three weeks or four weeks, whatever. You will see that, okay, how the desire will automatically come into you just by watching these particular ads. And it's a beautiful exercise to do it. In fact, even Swami SPG in his lecture says that in modern times, what is pleasure? You first build the tension and then you release it. So what these ads do is they build the tension and then once you once you get it or do it, that it's released and you feel the pressure. Yeah. And just look at airline ads. They'll show you all these first class cabins, for example. And all of us have flown in airlines. How, how wonderful it is to fly in airlines, you tell me. I'm using the word wonderful in quotes. <laughs> Very well said. Um, I had one uh, small add-on to that, that Raghudvesha and uh, from desire to attachment to desire, so on. So in one of the earlier shlokas, um, uh, when Krishna is describing about the Stita Pragna, he says, Vita Raga Baya Krodaha so he's without Raga, Baya, and Krodha. It's like always wondering why those specific three were picked out of Raga Desha plus 2KLM3 plus a few other things. 
Uh, so one nice interpretation I saw was uh, between these three, um, raga happens because of something that happened in the past. You get more liking because you already have a memory of it. So you develop uh, raga. And krodha happens for an event that you anticipate is going to happen in the future. Uh, so you, uh, no, bayaha, sorry, bayaha. Fear happens because of something that you think is going to happen in the future. And krodha happens in the present. Uh, like even in spite of all this knowledge and everything, that moment somehow you miss everything and your desire is stopped, so you get krodha. So it indicates past, present, and future in a very uh, nice way. Like you can be affected in all the three states, and the person who is vita without that is the, the sthita pregnya. The antidote for mortals like us uh, is a name of the Lord from Vishnu Sahasranama, Bhuta Bhavya Bhavat Prabhu, who is the Lord of past, present, and future. So it's very nicely connected, those two things. Very nice. Very well said. Just one question, Rajesh, that was an excellent summary. I missed the last week as well. Um, even going back to what Krishna just said, is it a desire first or attachment first? I thought the summary said it starts with desire. I know it's a cycle, you know, beyond a point. But do we need to understand where it starts so that we can, we can pay attention to it? Attachment first, if I'm, if I'm not wrong. So you, yeah. you have a, a sense objects, contact with sense objects, indriyani, indriyarteshu, it's a word. And then through that, you get some attachment to it. And the attachment, the stronger it becomes, then you get a desire. And then from desire, it becomes uh, all the other things less. So that is why they say like when the Sthita Prajna, he walks around, he doesn't let the objects affect him. So as long as those things are around you and you are also interacting with them, but without that attachment part, then it is perfectly okay. That's a Sthita Prajna. But uh, normally when we come in contact with the sense objects and like Rajesh pointed to about the ads, when we see the sense objects or something appealing to the senses, we start thinking more about it. That creates that attachment. Yeah, we touched upon it in last one. Actually, it starts with Vihayato. So as soon, as soon as it comes in, you dwell upon it. So dwelling is where it comes even before the, the attachment. Yep. Dwelling sometimes, yeah. <laughs> It starts with uh, with contemplation, really, and uh, I've I've been thinking about sort of you know in this cycle of eight steps, where do you sort of break it? I mean, what is yeah. like sort of you know, return, right? And and you realize that it probably has. I mean, the contemplation is obviously the starting point, and you know whether you are able to contemplate or or kind of not dwell on on worldly things or sense uh, objects is, uh, is 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 one matter, but. I guess the attachment or, you know, getting to a stage where you don't have the raga or where you're able to exercise vairagya is probably a, a critical sort of point because the moment you get into the, into the attachment mode, then I kind of, you know, almost feels like, you know, it's a little bit of like a, you know, you're going downhill and then once you get to attachment, it's all sort of goes kind of, you know, just falls down completely. So, you know, I, I've been thinking about sort of what is that sort of point which you should not cross and, I guess we've all gone sort of down that that, that, that sort of slope, uh, but uh, you know, you, it's, it's worth thinking about sort of where is it that we can stop and how do we do that? Right. I can take a shot at that. 
but I'll let Kishore first go. First. No, no, go ahead, Rajesh. I'll no, wait. no, go ahead after you. <laughs> okay, all right. No, no, I was uh, about to say two things actually. You know, one is that to Ajay's point, um, uh, it, it seems to be between uh, in dwelling and attachment, right? And and in both cases, um, uh, even with dwelling, it's uh, it's not suppression. Let's let's be very clear that it's not suppression, right? We are not. Um, we can look away from something uh, forcefully, but then, um, you know, we still go back to it, right? So it needs to fall off uh, through discernment or discrimination, right? So that discernment is the power, I think, that's going to let you, uh, let that uh, um, initial dwelling and attachment fall off or reduce that, right? So to me, that breaking point of this loop is in attachment and um, to some extent in the dwelling aspect. So, um, but attachment as uh, Rajesh had pointed out earlier is that emotional, um, to, to think that something uh, is required for my emotional well-being or something needs to be got rid of for my emotional well-being. So that uh, emotional dependence is attachment, right? So. Um, but how do you how do you lose that uh, emotional dependence? Again, it is through discernment uh, as one of them, uh, uh, one of the very uh, many steps that we uh, outlined. One of them would be through overall through discernment, whether it's through pratipaksha bhavnam or or otherwise. Then eventually that goes away, and then uh, to me that is also vairagyam, right? Eventually, like uh, discrimination leading to dispassion. So when you are no longer attached in that way, we can still enjoy it, but you. You you are um, uh, you have developed that dispassion towards towards things by that time, right? So in a way, it is also relating to our tattva bodha concepts of discrimination leading to dispassion. Well said, uh, Kishore. And 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 uh, you know uh, what I want to just add on to what Kishore said is, um, if you um, the two two different uh, different types of categories of uh, mindset that we will have. Okay, one is the mindset when one has not had, uh, let's say, uh, 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 the uh, uh, the uh, the knowledge of discernment, you know, the the tool, the discernment tool. Let's say one does not yet get it, okay, then it's difficult to apply discernment to the situation to break the loop. That's obvious. But then, how else can that person still break it? Okay, now. You go a little scientific way. The scientific way that I, I can think about it is, is as follows. At the end of the day, it is the five sense organs that is getting attached to the various objects, which are getting interacting with the various objects. And then there is something, all the mechanism behind in the mind that gets attached to it and all that. So now the Buddhist way of doing it is, you know, stop this, stop this interaction, right? So then they say, okay, the and and most of our most of the techniques. Uh, follow the Buddhist way. And the Buddhist way is very popular because of this particular reason. The thing is, the result is seen very clearly without knowing why it happens. So Buddhist meditation method or Buddhist ways of practice says, stop your senses from interacting with the external world. Right? And the moment people do it, they see that they are able to, you know, go beyond their desires and emotional attachments. And that's why Buddhist method works so well. But the point is, there are very few who go beyond that particular state to figure out what is the next thing. That's where the Vedanta comes in and say, okay, 
you got to attach yourself to something else otherwise you'll keep on doing only this part of it and then you after some time you'll say why am i doing all these things and then you will not find any meaning and this is exactly what happened in my own personal experience because when i did when i started my journey you know i started with the buddhist way of meditation and i loved it it is beautiful but then after some time i realized that you know i was getting confused is it okay sab kuch kar raha hu kyun what is what is the reason you know what is the reason i'm doing i didn't get an answer for that and when i found the answer it was a big aha moment for me so that's one part of it the second way of you know again delaying the whole thing is amongst the five sense organs which is the most powerful sense organ for you as an individual that gets attached to external objects right now then and if if you have that knowledge saying that okay hey i think this is where my general weakness is then you slowly start controlling the particular sense organ okay maybe there's a little bit of sense of discernment already in us thanks to geeta and all that so then you know that you know over a period of time we have to start controlling the sense organs not to the extent of you know uh, subduing them but to the extent of overcoming the particular temptations right and again a gentle plug and that's where chaturmasa comes into picture right and that's because sense of taste is one of the most powerful taste that lures all all of us and the next one is you know the sight we get almost almost 80% of our input from sight so these are the two things that we need to manage effectively i'm not saying subdue manage them effectively that will give us that control saying that i can control i can manage these sense organs and even if i'm even if i'm seeing multiple things around or if i'm enjoying multiple things around i'm still not enjoying them so you'll 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 make that switch very easily after some time very well said radesh i just want to add like there is a sanskrit proverb that says langanam parama oshadam langanam means fasting and says fasting is the best medicine parama oshadam and recently i read a twist so that langanam also applies to speech and also to thought which connects to geeta so if you also fast how much you have to speak and how much you have to think then the sense objects and all that stuff um, come down but i had a question on that the follow up thing so it looks like there will be certain amount of attachment that will happen because of our vasanas right like our built up thing like for example if i have a sweet tooth then when i see the buffet i am going to think about it there is going to be certain thing so is that like where the uh, intercept comes with vairagya or viveka and then say i know this is happening to me and it's okay because of the vasanas but i need to think about something else Kishore, sorry, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, no, that's what I understand in terms of, um, and that's where discernment comes in, right? You know, dispassion is something that grows in us, but uh, but discernment can certainly be applied there, right? So, okay, I'm craving after this particular thing. Um, uh, the discernment could be, well, then what? Let's say I get it. So why am I craving so much for it? Then what happens? Uh, okay, and then follow that through, and then you will realize that hey, there is. actually it's just that is just a link it's just going to go to the next one and the next one after that right um and then um just having those internal questions uh, to me is the discernment is the uh, and to then replace that with okay uh, can i have a higher ideal and uh, one of the higher ideals it does i mean obviously the highest one would be moksha but then there are many on the on the path to that it could be mental peace it could be peace and contentment um 
uh, a calm mind. So can all that be a, a, the, one of the higher ideals that can hold us, um, uh, take us to the next level, right? Uh, through that discernment. So yes, it has to be broken in the first two steps. Um, uh, after that, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, again, from, from a Chaturmasa point of view, uh, you know, in my sort of case, I used to have a lot of spices and chilies and I couldn't eat without, uh, you know, something sort of to stimulate my, my, my taste buds. And uh, I just said to myself, and, you know, obviously it kind of, I guess, reflects in my behavior in sort of my own sort of, uh, you know, state of mind and, you know, it troubles me, I don't sleep well, etc. So obviously those were things that I understood, but I never bothered about it. But what I realized was that having done that for, for five months, I realized that I was a lot more at peace with myself, right? Just because I had practiced that, that restraint, right? Uh, and honestly, I mean, I know, you know, Shanta had mentioned the call, but Shanta was, was saying that I need to have chilies, or was saying I need to have some chilies. And I was thinking to myself, I said, I, will, I just don't need them. I don't even think about it now, right? And a lot of it has to do with that cycle that, uh, that uh, Kishore explained, which is you, you also begin, you, you, by, by doing this abstinence or restraint or uh, discernment, you're able to appreciate what it gets for you. Right? And once you experience it, then you realize that, well, this is worth it, right? I'm trying to do the same with my sweet tooth, uh, not successful so far, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something which has to be practiced. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, sweet tooth, it's, it, it's much more challenging than... <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't have any sweets for about five months last year, and I was okay for a few months thereafter, and... You know, this Chaturmasa, because uh, for Rakhi, Rakshabandhan, uh, a week I had sweet. This week has been terrible for me because I've been just craving sort of, you know, all, all sorts of things, you know. So I guess it's it's deep-rooted. It doesn't go away in a jiffy. But but you can get there. I mean, I'd like to believe that I'll get there. Probably take longer than the chilies. <laughs> I think what uh, Ajay, when, uh, all of you mentioned actually are very practical tips of doing it. And if you, uh, if you realize that these are different you know, going from physical to subtle to, to the internal level, right? So first is at the Indriya level. So uh, if you know you've been going down that way, then I think suppressing a little bit and not really suppressing, but not, see, like you mentioned about the buffet, not going for the buffet, just saying that I will not go for the buffet is a better option than to go there and then again go down that path. The second option is you go to the buffet, but you tell yourself you're not going to the sweet section. You know, you'll just stay away from that section. You are not just going there. So that that's, I think that's better than suppressing because you're not, you're, you're trying to block even seeing it because once you see it, then it comes to the suppression, right? So, so, so that's more at the physical level. And then the next is if you actually, what Ajay was mentioning is very, very important. Once you, once you taste that mental peace, trying to remember that every time something comes then you can let the indriyas you can give you know that example of that little bit of rope you can extend okay it can go till here and walk around but because my mind knows that you know beyond that i don't know how to control but so keep extending that rope a little bit from there and then i think the third level is when you say i am the atman you know i'm not this what this is for the you know this is just a temporary uh, pleasure that I get, you can get over that. So, but it is possible, and that's where I think the following few shlokas will say, 
I think it's it's good to know that people are there who have no desire at all. It is possible, and it is possible by every one of us. I think that's a great conviction to have that it's not that you know uh, it's not possible and people everybody will have something or the other. No, that's not true. So it's an interesting, uh, just interesting sort of uh, thought uh, uh, there. You know, this uh, one of the swamis was giving a lecture and. One of the questions in that uh, talk was, uh, Swamiji, it's very difficult to control the senses. So the Swamiji kind of goes, he says, your, your, uh, your mind is your servant, okay? And your senses are the servant of your mind, right? So the senses are the servant of your servant. How, how can you not control your, your sort of servant two levels down? So he says, you have to control your senses. That's where it starts. So it was an interesting way he put it that, you know, the senses are the servant of the servant and you bloody well sort of, you know, find a way to, to control them. You can't yeah, just say SPG, that. SPG goes further and say, you become servant of the servant of the servant, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> because he adds one level to it. <laughs> so just, just take a step back and think about, you know, what are you guys doing, right? And I know it's not easy and you'll be all like, you know, uh, guilty of it, but that was a nice way to put it. Well, no, one thing I've found useful is, you know, sometimes um, we, we all obviously indulge, even though we kind of know, um, you know, let's take sweet, for instance, or food or whatever. Um, I sometimes do that, not often do that, rather. And then at the end of it, I kind of look back to, to, uh, uh, to your point uh, to see um, now that I've experienced it, was it really worth it, right? I mean, was it really... Um, you know, it's giving me X and Y troubles. Is it really worth it, right? So having that reinforcement saying, okay, the next time then, if there is, when there is that temptation, it gets related to this new memory of it wasn't really worth it, right? So that kicks in and reduces the amount of uh, temptation, I would say. So I, 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 that is a good feedback loop right there uh, that can also be applied. Actually, you can say that it was, sorry, go ahead. No, after you. I was saying it's, it's worth even thinking that, you know, it was worth doing once a year. I will do it again it. next year. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Similar, yeah. But you can even positively think that, okay, um, once a year I will do it and I will go and do in the, because at yeah. the end of it, Sweets are bad, but not that bad that you can't even have. Yeah, no, no, I, I completely, <laughs> I, I was saying in more in terms of, you know, I, you know, when I do yoga in the morning and I, uh, when I feel that previous day I've eaten more, I can see mm -hmm. it. I can feel it. So uh, was it really worth it that the following day I'm, it's not very effective. Um, yeah. And as against uh, a day when the stomach is pretty empty and, and then you feel really good. Um, so that is the feedback loop I typically, look, and I, and you're right. And I say, okay, it's fine. Uh, it's one day and that's okay. But the next time, it is good to have that conversation again so that it reduces it the following day. Uh, following Maybe time. not that much indulging, but a little less indulging, yes. Yeah. So, so, that so how, do you, how do you decline you know, sweets or whatever in a, in a social setting? If somebody made it and, you know, they're, um, there's all this other, uh, you know, how, how do you say no and will they feel bad or, I, you know, those are other thoughts that come to mind, which, you know, compel you to take a little bit of whatever. 
So actually, I don't like sweets, so I have a genuine issue by for of declining. <laughs> I take very little and say I I actually cannot have it. So it's but it's a that, genuine. So you are lucky that. You... <laughs> Alpana, you are the wrong person to answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying I do have the same problem because I have to decline it, not because I don't want to indulge or anything, but I really can't have it, and I have to have something salty afterwards. <laughs> no, it could be anything. It could even be something salty. It could be basically, you know, somebody has prepared something that you don't, you should not have because that is, you know, you, you're tempted by it or whatever, but. How do you decline that situation? I, I think they have little, you know, because yes, every somebody has made it with so much of love and affection yeah. for that. I would, but having little and not just going on. Vivek was saying right that third helping of gajar halwa. No, <laughs> it's moderation. Yeah, yeah, it's moderation. So <laughs> oh, absolutely okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have the opposite problem, Manu, which is if I have a sweet tooth and I can't now. And so, if somebody kind of tells me it's really nice, have it. I kind of take it as oh, well. This is, you know, I, I cannot refuse. I might as well eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally the problem. It's like a symbol from the universe <laughs> that the universe is giving me something. Let me take it. But, but I agree, we should take it as a prasada. If we take it as a prasada, then it will be okay. Yeah. yeah. But I think I, mean, I, I do feel like you know when I go to the store, I feel like if I can resist buying something, then it's much easier you know it's not sitting at home and you're trying to resist it all the time but it's more like when you go to somebody's place or you you, you know it's more in a social situation that makes it harder <laughs> that's the chaturmasa trick which is what you cannot eat don't bring it home so you'll be fine so no yeah well i've no been practicing that for a while now it works it works I mean, you know, it, it definitely happens. works yeah you reach out for it you don't find it you sulk and then you kind of get okay so that's, that's yeah that's, Move on. Or discover yeah. alternates. Yeah, exactly. I mean, alternates, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, you, alternates are always less, uh, you know, exciting than, you know, the original. <laughs> but I think what you said at the beginning, Rajesh, was kind of something which, which really makes sense, which is when faced with choices, uh, you have to be deliberate, not impulsive. And it's, it's an all, it's not just food. I mean, I, I took my daughter shopping this, this afternoon and you know, obviously, you know, girls like to buy a lot of clothes. And I kept telling her, I said, look, you just think, just take a step back and say, what do you want, right? Just, just be deliberate. Just don't kind of say, wow, this is nice and pick it up, right? And it works with food. It works with uh, any desire, right? And I, I think what Rajesh, you said was very, very powerful when, when, when confronted with choices, be deliberate. Don't be impulsive. And also, to add to you, to Manu, to your point, right? After some time, what happens is, uh, especially in in in, uh, in 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 social settings where people know you and know what is important for you, you know, they will actually flip. They'll offer it to you, but if you don't take it, they will not feel bad at all, right? And that happens. A bit of an Indian thing, right? You know, kind of getting your guests to eat more. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, you know, they will be fine, but I also feel guilty. Well, you know, they've put in so much effort and I'm like saying no. So I think uh, that's something for me to work on to figure out a way to get over that. So, so do you want to move forward to find out what exactly the next couple of slogans talk about uh, in terms of how the antidote for this? Any any thoughts from anyone 
on what what Gita says. How do we get over that? VP, it was at your uh, uh, insistence that we continued on these shlokas last week. So maybe you have some point there. No, uh, no not, uh, not really. Um, but to Manu's point, I was just thinking that, you know, it's better to take a little when somebody's offering you as a prasada and then, you know, tell yourself that I don't want to have any more. And that, I think, is the more difficult a way of handling it in the sense that uh, to, if you can take a little bit and then not go for a bigger portion after that, because suddenly your sense are uh, vibrant with the taste, etc. Uh, and and I think that's the that's the more difficult part to uh, you know avoid not going for bigger helping. So I was just thinking about that. Uh, with respect to shlokas, no, not really. I just thought it'll be. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, frankly, I don't have anything to say at this point. So, yeah, I, I mean, just one point. I, I I've been thinking about it. I'm not. I've not never been big on on bhakti yoga, as in I I am sort of God fearing, if you will. But I've never had this kind of big of the kind of inclination. And uh, I think this shloka or this these sets of shlokas has kind of ignited that that aspect in my mind, primarily as what Kishore was talking about, the sublimation point. That if you do not desire things which are worldly, what do you desire? And you kind of focus your desire on God, right? And, you know, to reason about God and, you know, whether it is Saguna or Nirguna and all that stuff is, you know, at some level you have to have that unabiding sort of faith in that ultimate, uh, in whatever shape or form. And therefore to kind of channelize your thoughts or desires from worldly objects to God, which effectively, I, that's how I kind of think about Bhakti Yoga. Uh, a lot of people think it's blind faith, but it is faith, blind or not, I don't know, but it is faith. And uh, so that's kind of, that's, that was a point when I was going through these shlokas and I said to myself, yeah, there is something about Bhakti Yoga which sort of makes kind of a minute sense for me, at least at this point, it'll probably get more clearer over time. And I know there are, there's a chapter on that. Uh, I don't know which one. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was an interesting sort of flip in my mind uh, with respect to Bhakti Yoga. And uh, I think one of the Swamiji's that I was hearing, he said, you have to move from uh, if I can recall it from uh, uh, from rasa, from shudder rasa and uh, navarasa to ram rasa, and the shudder rasa are the are the the tastes, and the navarasa are the nine emotions. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember all of them. Which is which? Are, which has all to do with the mind and the senses to ram rasa, which is Channelize your thoughts and desire towards God or beyond. That was nicely said.
So the one one takeaway for me from these successive shlokas is that very clearly it says that, um, uh, you know, unless and until one controls their senses, the mind is not going to be calm. And it's it's like a circular infinite loop. You know, you don't control your senses, the mind is not calm. Because the mind is not calm, you end up indulging. And actually, we can see this in binge eating and binge watching TV. Actually, binge eating and binge watching TV, what, what exactly is happening is that we're trying to fill a void within ourselves. Okay, it could be a void because there's nobody to talk to or nobody to exchange something or you feel bored, therefore you're ending up bored eating. I do that quite often actually. When I'm bored, I go to the kitchen and end up eating something. Peanuts. Okay, that's my favorite. Okay, and 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 but the, but then the point is what the what the successive shloka says is that uh, uh, if um, it's okay, you know, it says that if you if one does not have control on it, on Rajesh, sorry, we lost your audio, even though it doesn't say mute. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. I got double muted. Sorry about that. So I got this gadget oh. here. Yeah. Sorry. My hands were not in my control. <laughs> <laughs> it just pressed something. So what I'm saying is that, like, you know, um, when, 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 we are, when we are not in control of something, then the mind is not going to be calm. And when, when the mind is not calm, then again, the senses will go back into the clue. So, and, but the outcome of that whole thing is the knowledge that we're looking for, which is the, which is the outcome of Shravan, Manan, Nididhyasan. You know, this, is the, this seems to be the prerequisite for you to even get into listening to Shravan to understand it the way that the scriptures are intending us to understand. So there is, you know, if someone's goal is to really get onto the spiritual path, controlling mind, controlling senses, or put it the other way around, First controlling the senses, first control, then controlling the mind. I don't think there's a choice at all. It is like a prerequisite to get into the next level. So, going back to the thing, you know, going back to attaching yourself to a higher goal. If we want to attach ourselves to a higher goal, then we don't have a choice. We have to restrain ourselves from doing these things. Mm. I noted that the phrase gets repeated two times in Shloka 61 and I think 68. Indriyani Indriyartibhya Tasya Pragnya Pratishtita. It's 58 and 68. Yeah. Just on the, on the 2 KLM2, uh, it was interesting. If you look at sort of steps 2, 3 and 4, Sorry, three. Sorry, uh, three, four, and five in that uh, in that form. Three is karma, right? Uh, four is krodha uh, leading leading to to uh, uh, to, to jealousy or matsare, or it is lobha leading to uh, to mother, which is which is arrogance, right? And then in five you've got Moha, which is once you get to that point, you are in the mode of delusion. 
So, you, so the whole 2KLM3 kind of six uh, elements of that get very nicely captured in sort of steps three, four, and five of that workflow. In fact, in, 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 in four, it doesn't talk about uh, Lobha and Mother, but that is the other part. If, if you get what, if you don't get what you want, then you have Krodha. But if you get what you want, you have Lobha, which then leads to arrogance and pride, which is uh, Mother. Yeah, that's, that's really nice. Nice one, nicely said. And, and going by the theory of cause and effect, you know, what is the cost for all the 2KLM3 now, right? It's the desires. And what's the cost for desires is the attachment. So where do we work on? So Shamala, to answer your question, the question that you had, where do you work on? You have to work on the attachments. And uh, Rajesh, to your point, the next uh, couple of verses, I think it kind of builds up really well uh, in the sense that there is first, I mean, he obviously pointed out the, la the ladder of downfall on the slippery slope. And then after that would be, uh, how do you get out of it? Which is, say his first step is to have a calm and peaceful mind. And a calm and peaceful mind is able to contemplate further, which is the Nidityasanam, right? Which is, um, is able to meditate, is able to um, contemplate on the, on the reality. And then, um, and only then you, you get that um, serenity and tranquility that lasts for a long time, right? So, so it kind of builds up uh, that, right? Uh, I, I think um, uh, that's fascinating because it then it ends with, you know, this is how the, uh, uh, you know, we shouldn't forget that we're talking about the pregnant, right? So th this is how it, it um, you know, it works for this, such a person, right? who's on the other side, who has, who has achieved this, it's, uh, they've gone through this, these steps in some way. Um, okay. I was going to, um, contempl I was contemplating on what Shamla asked and what just Rajesh said, that uh, attachment uh, is the cause. And I, in, in my life, I was thinking, where, where do I get angry? And I just realized that when I'm attached, especially in, we, we talked about all food and, <laughs> you know, movies and everything, but we never talked about relationships. And I, I think um, when I see the most I get angry is to my mom and I'm very attached to her. So I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm just thinking now that probably that's why I get, <laughs> uh, you know, angry to, with her the most. Nobody else I get angry, but her is the one that I quickly get angry. Of course, I quickly retract also, but still there is that attachment. It's so strong that uh, sometimes it's out of control. And even, you know, when we are laughing, everything, one, one quick moment of <laughs> anger will come. <laughs> uh, but it, it's funny, but she doesn't see it that I'm angry, but I think I can feel that. Um, I think she doesn't, she doesn't, just doesn't, see that she's just like okay this is Vidya so she is so giving <laughs> but for me it is that moment I get angry and I'm just thinking how should I control that and maybe yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll come to I'm attached that that's what I realize that it's too no, much I mean, of attachment is fine, but what makes you angry I mean just try to understand this better I mean you're attached good but there must be a trigger for getting angry 
I have to find that out. I don't know. Yet. Think of a, uh, yet another uh, hint in terms of when we get angry with uh, relations. Uh, I think it's expectation, which is, you know, I mean, in terms yeah. of expecting um, a certain way of behavior, certain outcome, yeah. uh, and when it's not met. Absolutely. Right? And that is, that, yeah. So, and see that attachment, I think is slightly different and correct me if others, please correct me if I'm wrong. This, this attachment that they're talking about is more around um, that my emotional well-being is connected to a certain thing happening, right? In this particular yeah, scenario, right? right? Yeah. And that certain thing happening is the result of an expectation mm-hmm. that I expect them to do X but that did not happen. They said, why? Right. So that expectation was broken. And my attachment is to that expectation, which is that if they said X, I'll be happy. Right. So, um, so if you walk back from that, so yes, the the attachment to the mother is there as a mother. Yes. But this is to that attachment to that specific incident. Right. I mean, uh, it it is not, you know, the love is there obviously, but in this, case when this happens it is that expectation of them it could be again i'm I'm obviously uh uh, i don't know the full context here i'm just uh no i can relate to what you're saying that that's very good explanation kishore because when i see that when you explain when i see that the moment the moments i am you know that quick moments of anger is only at that moment and at that moment becomes past, like how you're saying. So in that past, either, you know, she said something and she didn't listen. Uh, so I'm like thinking, oh, she didn't listen. And that quick thing, because she's, I'm so free with her, I can quickly say, no, this is how it is. And I see that, that anger in me. But then I feel so bad because it's probably she's, she's not able to hear me or something. And she's continuously talking, but I don't have patience, right? So... So that quick thing, so, and then it hurts me. It's it like, I didn't yeah. listen to her. So that, that, that sometimes happened and um, that only happens with her. So it's like, <laughs> uh, how do I control that? And, so how, and how do you discern else. that, right? If you, if you were to take, yeah. uh, if, just to walk that a little bit more, um, uh, then it would be around, you know, how do you curtail that, right? I mean, as an example, okay. um, is to then have this one way probably is to have this uh, conversation, mental conversation, which is, hey, um, finally, uh, even for you, you don't want that, um, that yeah. feeling of guilt, the feeling of um, having gone through that. That's one. So the next time it comes in, hey, do you really want to go through that feeling of guilt again? Um, mm-hmm. uh, or of having offended somebody in some way. Mm-hmm. Second thing is around, you know, when we, um, when we are angry, in some ways we, uh, we are performing a little bit of ahimsa to the other person, right? In, uh, whatever extent, to whatever that extent may, might be. It is violence in terms of what we say, okay, right? right. Um, do we want that? Because um, one, that is wrong. Uh, that would be bad. But then yeah. uh, the second thing would be, it is also causing a mental turmoil for us, right. e- even at that particular time and also later, mm-hmm. right? So, so it is resulting in all of these things. So is it worth it? So having that eventually slows it down. It's like this, uh, um, yeah, it eventually slows down that uh, process and then the anger eventually stops. Right, right. Right? 
Right. Um, I want to come to a place where I'm not angry with her. That that's where I want to come to. And it cannot be and, through forcefully doing it, right? It has right, to yes. naturally not yeah. be that case, right? Right. Correct. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I think one other thing that I just want to add here is um, the moment that anger gets in at that particular in, in any relationship, then I think two things are happening. One, we are not seeing the other person the way the other person is. We are we already put a lens, right? then the world is totally different. We are viewing the world, when I say the world, the interaction, that particular interaction from a lens that has been put in. Therefore, any, any subsequent steps is not viewed in, in reality as the reality is, but in viewed in, with this lens. So whatever inputs going into our mind is always already biased. That's a very, very important distinction for us to understand. So to be in the present, the Buddhist way of being in the present is very, very powerful, where you, you don't have your own biases about what the other person is saying, how they are saying, what language they're expressing or not expressing, accent, you know, all those things really don't matter. What matters is, you know, am I understanding the way that the other person is saying? Okay. I, I want to share this, what I went through last night, right? The about unbiased, which kind of translates to judgment and so on and so forth, right? As to what the other person is saying. We went for a 16th birthday party yesterday as a family. And it was some, of somebody who lives in the same community. And within the first one hour, I think we got a you know kind of couple of dose of shots there. The girl, 16-year-old, was landed in a shopper to the party place. And they wanted to make it very, very unique. So she literally came and a helicopter brings her and lands her into the party place. And then she walks in and, and there were so many kids there, right? Right from all kinds of age groups. And then that was something that I don't think I will think of doing. And so my mind received it very, very differently. Oh, am I in the right place? Kind of stuff. And then they go further on the next half an hour, they buy her a brand new portion, bring it onto the dais, and they gift her that, a 16-year-old. And I think this really colored my experience after. And my daughter is 12, going to be 13. And all the thoughts come into my mind as to what is the standard being set? What is the message being given? Is it going to be a no-win game with uh, my daughter? Whatever I do, I'm going to be falling short of this. Not I want to do it in the first place. Right? And then it continued. First party after COVID, many people. So everybody kind of taking this with mixed feelings. Um, again, everybody enjoying kind of, you know, interacting with it and, you know, everybody and coming back. But the thought stayed with me for quite a bit. You know, I couldn't sleep till two. I wouldn't say that is the reason for it, but I think that's there. There is this, as a backdrop and a lot of conversations there and stuff like that. And literally I sat up and said, what's bothering me? And I think at the end of the day, I could have just gone there, have a good experience, wish them luck. If that is what they want to do for the kid, wish the kid a bright future and come back. Would you do it? I will never do it. 
Why I will not do it is also another point that I think I need to think about. But do I need to measure them with what I think I will not do? Was something I was clearly doing wrong. I think once I had a little bit of the conversation with myself, then I said, no, I mean, that's okay. That doesn't need to really bother you. Okay, you're clear, you don't want to do it, but at least now, wish that. And just accept that. So that the coloring, the judgment is, is so important and also confronting yourself, right? What's bothering you? And, and just let it be was something, you know, it's just fresh in my, my last night experience. So I thought I'd share. So beautiful, Shavala. Nice. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. No, even as you were saying it, I, I could sense myself uh, judging, right? Uh, who they were, and, and I don't even know them. But, but then uh, pull back saying it's, it is what it is. So it's fine. All was going on in my mind. Oh, uh, you're in Texas. I get it. <laughs> and all, all I could think of is that I need to get to know these people. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. We went to a similar party and it, I was surprised. So my, it was for my son's friend and this was in India uh, it was so interesting that my son was in fourth grade and uh, after the party some of his friends and they were talking why such an elaborate party why did they have to do it why did they have to spend so much money so even sometimes you're surprised that it's not that you know even all kids would want it like that even they they were opposed to you know such a big thing it was also one of those an eiffel tower was created she came in a carriage and you know this was done in in, in india in <laughs> big lawn so so yeah sometimes you know kids surprise you <laughs> yeah and and just a, uh, another interesting take right slightly deviant take on this what we're discussing is that uh, uh, in terms of um, uh, uh, once we start looking at, you know, let's say objects that we buy or things like that, right? Um, that we buy for whatever, you know, oh, this is good, we buy it and all that. After some time, the entire home probably gets stuffed, stuffed in with those objects. And then in the US, especially, it's difficult to dispose them off, right? And you have to pay, pay a fee in California, for example, to dispose them off. Now, uh, you know, the same analogy, you shift it to your mind, right? Now, the, your mind is a big home where you're housing a lot of thoughts, some wanted, most unwanted. Now, one day you, you, you decide to do spring cleaning. What happens at that point of time? I don't think it's going to be that easy to spring clean it that fast. So Krishna, your favorite Tasmat is coming in 68. Yeah. It's a very nice summary. Every time that comes up, it seems to summarize the last few set of thoughts. Yeah. I think the Tasmat goes to Indriyani Indriyate. 
Bihar, right? Like, yeah. so senses and sense objects, stay away from sense objects, control your senses is the final message for this section. I mean, the whole sort of series of shlokas is all around, uh, you know, you think about sadhana, chitushtayam, it's all about shama, tama, and nididhyasana, right? And so, you know, starting from 58 or I think thereabouts, till till now it's all about shama, tama, and then I think 64 or 65 onwards, you then say, okay, what do I need to do uh, differently? which is, okay, you've done the Shravana and the Manana, where also you need Shama and Dhamma control, uh, or mind and sense control, rather. But uh, essentially, this whole sort of series of uh, shlokas is around control your mind, control your senses, and then contemplate on the ultimate reality. I actually heard Swami P give a very nice, uh, one more way of looking at that Shravana, Manana, Didhyasana. So it's shadow, you get all this uh, knowledge. And then mananam is for your intellectual mind. Uh, so that is where you reason about it. And then you clear all your doubts. And you keep your mind, chitta shuddhi, antakarna shuddhi, you do with the mananam. And nididhi asanam is for your emotional mind. And that is like for all your mind and the emotions going up and down. Even though now you know the knowledge from shravanam and you have reasoned that I truly believe this is the correct thing through mananam. Because of our vasanas and everything, you are still going to get that emotional feeling, that attachment or something. And to control that is the nididhyasana part. So once you do this, all three, and then the mind is clean, you you don't, uh, like, you know, as I was saying, because you don't realize anything. You just see what you already are, what you already have. You're just kind of cleaning it completely uh, very well to be able to get that consciousness reflection and all that happened automatically. I mean, another analogy is, uh, you know, Shravana and Manana is, is eating your food. Nididhyasanam is digesting it. You're getting what you really need rather than all the stuff that you stuffed yourself with. So it's, digest, it's digesting the Vedanta philosophy in Nididhyasanam, which is basically dwelling on it and contemplating and becoming one with that. Digesting is very tough. <laughs> That's why Chaturmasa. <laughs> In fact, uh, another point they add is uh, the importance of memorizing. Um, memorization helps in mananam because then you don't have to, you know, you can do it anywhere if you have memorized few, even if it's few words here and there, if you, you have it in the memory, then you can do the mananam. No, totally agree. I will actually uh, add won't go around telling this outside, but to this group. So every day I listen to chapter three at least like two or three times. I just have Swami P's YouTube lecture and his voice is so soothing and very well. So I just listen to the whole thing. So as much as possible, I try to concentrate on the full thing as though I'm doing Vishnu Sasanam or Parayanam or something. But sometimes the mind wanders, but even then just listening to it two or three times a day totally helps uh, like all the various Sanskrit phrases you tend to remember and tend to better connect the, the sequence of thoughts, like the various sections and everything. It's a, just a, a very, very uh, profound experience. Strongly recommend. I, I have this as a reminder on my desk. Uh, what is that? Sorry. Um, it's there on my, uh, uh, it's there on my uh, DP as well. It's oh. from Vedanta Sara. It's an expansion of Aham Brahmasmi. It says Aham Nitya Shuddha Buddha 
Mukta, and it goes on. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm trying to memorize this as a, to Alpana, to your point, right? You know, I also feel that mem- memorization helps yeah. in, you know, going through the sequence of thoughts of the entire, let's say, the Shravana that you have done for X number of hours in a very sequential and logical way that you can, you know, go in your mind much more easily without, without any aid of going back and referring to a particular discussion, what the Swamiji said and all that. Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think like the more you get familiar, you kind of get like this, a uh, lot of things watching, feeling, oh, wait, 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 here's an interesting scene that's going to come. Like that, you see, oh, Katam Bhishma Maham Sanke, you see, and oh, wait, wait, Bhagavan is now going to say, Ashochyan Anvishochastram. You, you wait for those, uh, your favorite phrases, or when Karma Neva Adhikaraste or Yoga Karma Shukaushalam comes, you, you wait for that. I, I found like small delight in those things. You're making Bhagavad Gita sound like a mystery movie now. You know, exciting, exciting to watch. <laughs> one of the, one of the goals that I have set for myself in for this year uh, is to memorize ten shlokas from chapter two. Okay, and I'm right now in the process of shortlisting them because we're going through them, and some of them are obviously more interesting or more profound. So my goal by the end of the year is to at least memorize 10 shlokas, which I can sort of recall at will, uh, really to the point what Atma you've been saying, which is if it's in your head, it kind of, it, it comes out sort of automatically. And uh, much like you, Krishna, I I listened to Swami Brahmananda. Yep, yep. That's the... Yeah. He's got a 20-minute uh, rendition of chapter 2. So he kind of he kind of uh, chants it in about 21 minutes, actually. And I just listened to that sort of once in a while or every couple of days or whatever. And it sort of kind of starts to kind of take sort of uh, you know, place in your mind. And uh, some of the shlokas obviously are more interesting. So they, 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 I'm already kind of, kind of understanding or remembering the words. But I think that's a great idea to just kind of have uh, a few shlokas which are, which are obviously more important than the others and kind of just stick them into your head. Ajay, if you want to stretch target, try memorizing chapter 12. Because you mentioned you are inkling little bit towards bhakti. Just memorize chapter 12. And it's not a, it's not a long chapter. It's a short It's on bhakti yoga. No, it's only got 20 shlokas, right? Yeah, it's a bhakti yoga, it's a small one. So I remember sort of somebody right. telling me, but uh, yeah, I'll probably get there at some point. I, you know, what I'm liking about doing this chapter two, you know, thinking about chapter two is because we're going through it in detail. I am able to understand each word and uh, sort of then say, okay, here is the shloka I really want to focus on. So obviously there are some obvious ones. You won't be surprised, but at some point I will share the 10 that I'm doing. And if, if there are others that you all think are useful, that'll be good. Ajay, my only recommendation to you would be to, you know, when you're memorizing it, please get your meter right. Because the way that you say the words, you know, physic when you uh, verbally say the words, you know, if you if you say it, say it in the right meter and break it at the right places, then the words will automatically emerge in front of your eyes. Otherwise, you'll make the mistake of understanding of saying the opposite word. Yes, I know what you mean. Okay. So yeah. maybe one day we will have to get coaching from Ranjani and... Uh, uh, Vidya Raman and other musicians in this group to help us with that. But I'll tell you, that's a very, very powerful thing. We need it. If we don't understand that, you know, I have zero music here, but 
you know you have to you have to make an attempt to learn that in the right way otherwise the opposite meaning will come up so please be cautious about it absolutely i've got a full sort of uh, for each shloka there's a breakdown for each word and the meaning so i've got that and then i've got ramananda ji kind of uh, you know citing it so you can get he's, he does it really well i like i like that part of it so i'm trying to kind of marry all of them but i'll get there by the end of the year geetachanting.net is ramananda ji's uh, geeta chanting and they break it by quarter and also why it's important that meter is if you are going wrong and if you have forgotten a word you'll know immediately because it's not fitting in <laughs> so then you know you're doing something wrong or some different word you are using because they all fit exactly to the meter thank you for that since we've uh, touched uh, till 68 i just had one thing from 67 actually we were supposed to do till 68 so i did read it till there so in the 61 i think uh, it mentions about that even if one of the indriyas you you know slack it can take you away like the wind blows away the the boat uh, very interesting uh, point that uh, madhavacharya ji highlights is that the boat will blow away only when oh sorry the wind will blow away the boat only when the boat is in the water and he highlights that as a very nice point that if you are on the shore if you are on the you know outside and you are anchored the boat the wind cannot do anything and that is very key to to understand that once you are established in brahman nothing can blow you away so that's a pointer to that yes it is possible to have that state so that was very nice thing that uh, that that was added that only if the boat is in the water it will get blown away i created a presentation sometime back called sales and anchor i i took the inspiration from this shloka actually okay one other off tangent uh, uh, comment on you know what we discussed right sometimes we end up evaluating uh, or misunderstanding the masters the gurus right uh, you know sometimes we think that you know um, perfection in a guru should mean this way you know physically they should look like this mentally they should behave like this and all that i think all those things we have to put it at rest because at the end of the day it's our own mindset that's coming in between what we uh, what we think and what the guru you know says or behaves because you think about it this way you know the guru like like take one on one end of the spectrum okay osho who's been driving in who had been driving in uh, multiple big cars right uh, rolls royces and what we noticed is osho is driving in rolls royce we notice in rolls royce but that's osho does not care right likewise on the other side of the spectrum you know oh this guy is so fat you know he can't be a guru he doesn't even know yoga he doesn't even know you know if it body is not in control how can he be a good mental control that's also incorrect please understand that or if someone says okay someone some you see some other swami ji who is ending up eating a lot of sweets no he cannot be he cannot be a guru to me impossible because he's i mean these are all ridiculous points of view in my view right you know from from the discussions what we had right now i just want to point out that what the master does the way they do, they do it you know it's you are not seeing it from his or her point of view you are seeing it from your point of view it only shows what you are giving importance to rather than what the master is giving importance to i i'll, I'll share a, a small uh, sort of uh, anecdote here from my own thing 
so there is one swami ji i won't name him who i listen to his audios okay and i really like it you know speaks a lot of he speaks in a very nice kind of way and great examples and then i happened to see him and i started to judge much like you said and you're absolutely right i mean i was kicking myself and saying why i am am i doing this i mean i've been listening to him for like 3 months and i you know enjoy it and therefore i listen to him reasonably frequently and i saw him and you know i won't describe him at all but and i was like oh no this is the guy and my that was my first sort of instinctive reaction and i i realized that that was very silly we are doing it but uh, yeah you kind of end up thinking in that direction which uh, i guess that's a point you're making we need to sort of stay away from that that's it the point is never judge a master if someone has worn a saffron robe you know if we are judging that person by the robe or the way that the appearances are you know we have to understand that it's our limitation that's judging it it's not the master's limitation yeah and it's a little bit to do with sort of whether it is the gurus or whether it is another person i mean we and you know we never look at ourselves in the mirror in, in some ways but we all sort of in some ways act based on our own personas and our own sort of proclivities and whatever product has we've carried with ourselves in these in this life and so for us to judge others and not sort of judge ourselves is is, is, is inappropriate thanks mommy spg in one of his lectures he says never try to meet a hero you will be disappointed <laughs> which is true because i have i've met a few kind of bollywood stars and to be honest they are disappointing <laughs> there is a the joke part of that that says also right like if you if you keep saying shivoham shivoham and try to do everything as shiva does also be ready to drink the poison and save the world yeah it's a, it's the same example i think probably you had given it krishna which is you know if you kind of if you want to be krishna you can't do all the wrong or sort of supposedly the inappropriate things he did you have also to do what all the good things he did yeah, so yeah, you can't confuse yeah. yeah no but on that note i read somewhere like even our scriptures say that the the shraddha part is the more important thing that if you have the shraddha on the guru and the mantra that by itself saves us and guides us in the in the right path irrespective of who the guru is or anything it is that the shraddha and the the teaching i am getting it from this person and that this mantra is going to protect me uh, that is going to now take you forward that shraddha is the more more important thing so i have a question sorry if uh, you know i, I know this in time you know the shraddha point right faith bhakti right you know how does one think about rituals right because the rituals are supposed to deliver something positive right or doing it the right way is supposed to deliver something positive but they 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 would they would deliver something positive in the material world right in 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 the in the in the transactional world right so is that a is that a sort of Uh, is that an outcome that one sh- which is 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 that a, is that a how should i say this uh, is that a, a fair kind of way to expect an outcome or uh, you know is, is therefore is doing rituals which will basically give you happiness or 
whatever not happiness but it will kind of make you make your life easier in the material world is that like part of the bhakti part of the shraddha uh, part of it or is that like a separate thing altogether so the the one one thing i uh, heard from swami paramatananda ji's uh, lecture is this so there are some things that is like all the purva kanda the karma kanda has all these rituals and everything listed to attain certain things because you have to go through the dharma artha kama and like even king dasharatha did the putra kamashti yogam to get the kids and we got rama so so there are all these things but the the stipulation there is if you do not do it exactly as per all the rules and regulations listed then it will have like a reverse effect it could have even a not only a zero but it could be a negative thing uh but he also adds this thing so if you do all those rituals but uh, without asking for anything only as a way for antakarna shuddhi then you never get any any uh, negative effect at all uh so this is actually in one of the shlokas in chapter 2 as well like if you practice this buddhi yoga you are not going to get uh one it will like drayate mahatva bhavat like it will going to save you from lot of things nor will you have any uh, negative or adverse effects Uh, if you, if you miss some of these things just as long as you have the equanimous view so that's the uh, viewpoint of the the rituals uh, that i have heard but there yeah, is a bigger thing about the praying and everything the negative but jnana kanda is only positive sorry not not necessarily not necessarily jnana yeah. kanda need not be positive especially for an unprepared mind and that's where it is coming rituals if you look at it rituals are required the way that i look i sliced and diced it is rituals are required to till the soil so that you can plant the seed and if the, if the soil is not fertile tilled well watered well which is our mind the seed will never come out on the contrary it could come out in a negative way for i mean i think we talked about it right you know we can intellectually argue about the same situation and rationalize in a completely in a wrong way so rituals are prepare, preparing our mind in multiple levels mental discipline okay purification like what he talked about where you know your 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 purification is very simple the way that i understand it is i have x amount of time where i can think y thoughts okay and out of the y thoughts maybe x percentage of the y thoughts are negative y uh, uh, some rest all positive but by doing this 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 rituals first of all i am i am reducing the uh, number of thoughts and therefore reducing the number of instances when i can do negative thoughts or even positive thoughts it's just rama rasa one thought but but rajesh isn't uh, rituals and you know expecting a good outcome um sort of a selfish desire no so the point is you can do rituals like to krishna's point right you can do rituals with two objectives one with the objective to get something for example you do satyanarayana puja satyanarayana puja it says you do this saying that i want this and you do that sankalpam saying that i want this and then i go ahead and do that puja it will likely to give you the particular result provided you follow all the steps perfectly okay but then you can say it i am going to do this for loka kalyan okay i am going to do this for my chitta shuddhi and you go through the entire process you make multiple mistakes in the process no problem still the results accrue to it so from a from a uh, ritual perspective you know if you if you're switching what your sankalpa is 
right? I mean, uh, in, in the case of Chaturmasa, it's the same. You know, if, you, if your goal is to reduce weight, you know, Chaturmasa is just one of the ways of doing it. There could be a thousand of other ways. But that is not the goal. The goal is not reducing weight or looking fit and mean, right? That's one of the side effects of the goal, what you have. You will get it. But what is your goal? That's what you'll have to look at when you're doing the ritual. And the reason I ask, the reason I ask this, uh, Rajesh, is, uh, you know, I, I see what you're saying that you know, if you're doing rituals without any selfish kind of expectation, then it's good, it's fine, and you know, it will only help your spiritual sort of growth, right? The reason I've been sort of mulling over this <clears throat> is that there are a couple of things which have, which have, hasn't been going my way in the last sort of year or so, right? And you talk to people, and kind of they say, okay, why don't you do this? Uh, puja with this objective and you know it'll get okay and you know you need to ask abc and i just cannot get myself to do it right for for reasons i don't understand i mean i, I don't know what but i just cannot get myself to do any of that and i kind of a lot of people tell me you know, what why what is the problem why can't we just do it you know and i said look if i do it without sort of you know a clear head it's anyway not going to help me and i just but, but i said irrespective of that i can't get myself to doing it and so What's been sort of in my mind is, you know, is that okay just to kind of stay with the higher goal or should one focus on sort of more near term sort of materialistic things or no, I, I, I just, I, I'm, just, I'm a bit sort of, you know, sort of unsure about that aspect. So that, that was the trigger for my, my question. It's something that's kind of on my mind. One, one thing I wanted to highlight was, so both Upasana and Karmakan are some people they combine it and call it as the karmakan so the rituals what you're referring to one thing i wanted to clarify was they're not bhakti so those rituals are karmakan there is a sankal and you do that ritual but that ritual has nothing to do with bhakti bhakti is actually pure love for god and any ritual you do is for the love of god that is bhakti so one thing i wanted to clarify was that karmakan has nothing to do with bhakti Karmakand is actually the 80% of the uh, shlokas in Vedas. And for a particular result, you can do that. And I don't see anything wrong in doing them, even if they may be for the selfish reason. Because it will give you peace of mind. It will give peace of mind for the family. They say, right, spirituality doesn't work with empty stomach. I mean, empty stomach is a little too much of an extreme situation. But you, you mean what I say, that. So you're, you're actually okay. And that's why I get a Panditji who would do it well with Vidhi Vidhan because as you know, both Krishna and uh, Rajesh were highlighting, yes, it can go negatively. But then we have too many things. After that also, just say Prayaschit, you know, even after everything is done, please forgive me for whatever wrong things that were done during this process. The intention was, it wasn't done intentionally. Based upon my limited knowledge understanding, I was able to do that. So I think you should be okay doing them, even if it is for... Selfish, because selfish is not just for you. It is for your family, for your duties, for everything else. So it's not just for, as one individual, those karmas. Usually those, uh, those uh, whatever they're called, prayaschit karma, they are for the family and, and others as well, right? So it's not you individual. So, so just wanted to clarify those things. You should be able to do them, still keeping the goal, as Rajesh is saying, as the highest, because that's not the only thing you are going to do. But the other rituals, which are more for purification of the mind, etc., like Nam Jap and, and all of those things, 
they are perfectly fine and they usually don't have that much of vidhi as well but we call them ritual because you do them regularly yeah, that's it 